Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. Uh, I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here with my colleague Kurt Levins tonight in the absence of our usual host, David Staples, who's uh, uh, pursuing other pursuits this weekend. Welcome, Kurt. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, nice to have those two points in the bank, eh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very, very quiet, um, very sort of non-Battle of Alberta battle, wasn't it? And yet... Yeah, you know, especially with, with nobody in the rink, right? And there wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of juice in the, in the game in terms of physicality and and uh, an argy-bargy. Yeah, it wasn't your typical Battle of Alberta at all, was it? Nope, but um, it wasn't a typical Oilers win either. But you know what? That's twice in the last two weeks that the Oilers have won a hockey game without a single scoring point from either of their two superstars, uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, an eventuality that hadn't occurred since 2017, and now they've done it twice in two weeks. And I'm going to take that as mostly a positive thing in that the team has found uh, ways to contribute from the depths of the lineup and uh, win games in different ways and uh, just relying on the big two to rack up, you know, multiple points each. The Oilers seem to have discovered that that fable depth scoring. <laughs> well, I saw a wacky stat today, or I heard one, that in their last eight games going into tonight, and now you can make it nine, uh, so I'll add tonight's, because uh, both goals were at even strength. So in the last nine games, the Oilers have scored 27 even strength goals, three per game, which is a very nice number at even strength. And Conor McDavid has scored a zero of those goals and only six assists at even strength. So really it's coming from throughout the lineup that they're, you know, that they're uh, chipping in. Tonight it was the turn of the Gaetan Haas line to uh, to score the critical uh, game-winning goal with Haas himself, I think, becoming the 16th different scorer, Cassie Campbell was saying, in, in that run of games. So real nice to see contributions from throughout the lineup after 97 and 29 were carrying the bulk of the load for the early part of the season. thought that Haas goal was a nice example of two different skills that he displayed. His speed helped him get in the open and charge the net. Mm-hmm. And then his common sense made him stop at the net. He right. doesn't score that goal if he keeps going, right? But he had the presence of mind to stop at the net. The rebound popped out, and, and there it was. Stopping at the net is one of the key skills for uh, lots of lots of major scores. I mean, there's lots of guys that dart in and out. But if you dart in and the chance lingers, dart in and stop stick around for a second or two. I watched Glenn Anderson learn that skill from a rookie uh, where he would fly by the net and he'd have his first chance and the rebound would pop out and there'd be nobody there. And he learned to hang around, take a beating sometimes, but bang, into the net she goes. So tonight we're going to go with our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers as usual. And we're going to do two things each because it's a win. And my eye is acting up again. Sorry, folks. And so, Kurt, let's start with your first good thing. My first good thing was the de-pairing of Adam Larson and Chris Russell. Uh, These are the two uh, old workhorses, if you will, on on the Oilers' blue line. And I think it's fair to say there was some debate when Chris Russell was inserted back into the lineup ahead of youngster Caleb Jones. Um, 
when William Laguson went down with his wrist injury. But you know, for two games in a row, we we've seen we've seen vintage K Rusty, if I could put it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's too much to ask to see Chris Russell play every game anymore uh, at his age. I'm just not sure he has that much left in the tank. But with appropriate rest, he can still be a highly effective defender uh, and was tonight. Uh, and Adam Larson, at one point partway through the game, Bruce, I remember thinking, you know, I recognize this player. Yeah. This was the Adam Larson that played in Edmonton like two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, his Brilliant. level of compete in in the D zone, winning winning puck races, which he wasn't earlier on in the year, winning lots of puck battles, mm-hmm. uh, and just being generally smart with the puck. I thought mm-hmm. the Oilers were very well served by that D pairing. And uh, when you only give up that many shots to the Calgary Flames, you're doing a lot right. And and really, four Oilers defensemen carried the heavy load tonight. Oh, the third true. pairing of uh, of Cuckoo and and Bouchard only played, I think, eight and nine minutes, respectively. Yes. Um, so, yeah, my first good thing, uh, the Larson-Russell pairing, it ain't fancy, folks, but when it works, it works. Yeah, 24 minutes and 10 seconds for Russell tonight. That's a, that's a big uh, night's work for him because he plays heavy minutes. You know, he, he doesn't put up the the big, you know, high numbers in the high 20s that you see from some players, but the minutes that he does put in are heavy going. And yep. he's, you know, he's much more of a offensive lineman uh, type of workload than, uh, you know, than a, than a uh, scat back or a, a wide receiver. When he's in there, he's in there and he's grinding it out. And he ground it out tonight. And he did move the puck well and, and even rushed it up the ice a couple times. So that was, mm-hmm. uh, that was nice to see. So what's your good thing, Bruce? Well, I'm going to compliment your first good thing with the other top defense pairing of uh, Darnell Nurse and Tyson Barry. Uh, who really majorly munched the minutes tonight. 30 minutes and one second for Darnell. Uh, 25 and 26 seconds for uh, for Barry. And they're at uh, 23 and basically 25 at even strength. 25 for, for Nurse. And he also took on four minutes on the penalty kill, Darnell. That's why the big disparity between the two of them. And uh, uh, they... They were real solid. They did get beat on the one Calgary goal. Johnny Goudreau really uh, juked uh, poor Barry in the corner there, and uh, uh, he made a good pass, and Rasmus Anderson made a good shot before the other players could recover. And you could maybe find minor fault on that goal with other players, but it was basically Barry getting beat. Yeah. They said it was because Goudreau beat the icing, but what Goudreau really did was cherry-pick at the far blue line, which is why he beat the icing in the first place, but... Yeah, Whatever. and to He's some extent, Barry. Work. Yeah, and to some extent, Barry fell, but in, but that I think that's doing a disservice to Goudreau, who I thought made a really nice play on that sequence. So, now, Barry, on the other hand, made a couple of really important defensive plays in tight to his own net, including a fabulous play to tip uh, what looked like uh, the patented Matthew Kachuk between the legs, trying to go in the top corner, and that may well have worked. Like that situation was setting up very nicely indeed for Kachuk, and if he made a shot was going to be in the net, but Barry got a stick in there and tipped it high over the crossbar. And that was with, what, the goalie out, maybe a minute and small yeah. change left on the clock. Uh, like that Almost was a, gigantic... a pool cue shot in between the skates, wasn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a, a yeah. gigantic defensive play by Barry. And he made a, a few others. I thought he was okay on the defensive side of the puck and, and very active. Man, he's all over the place, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And, and 
very unpredictable. And he's just been pounding in the points. So both Nurse and Barry earned a point tonight on the first goal, uh, with Barry being the, the major uh, player in terms of getting the puck deep into the zone and making the nice centering pass to Yessa Pugliarvi, who buried it between David Riddick's legs for the early one nothing lead, and the orders led from there to the rest of the game. So they chipped in at, uh, at both ends of the ice, and uh, mainly what they did was, was play a lot of quiet minutes. Man, Darnell, like, you almost would never see stats like this for this guy. Zero shots, one hit. So it wasn't like he was a super proactive player like you come to expect from him. But tonight, he like I thought he was in command out there. I was really impressed with with uh, yeah. Nurse's game tonight. And you know, 30 minutes. We'll see what the what the doctor orders for Darnell tomorrow night. But uh, he continues to improve, doesn't he, Kurt? He sure does. Well, I think he played like he played like a legit NHL first pairing defenseman tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thirty minutes. And on win. Barry's side, uh, you mentioned the lovely play he made to Yessi on the one nothing. That mm. was one of three times where Barry hooked up with uh, with uh, Pugliarvi and McDavid. There were two uh, other rushes in the game that were started by uh, by Pugliarvi and and McDavid, where on neither case could Barry cash. But mm-hmm. there were it was a pretty three way passing yeah. play, and and uh, it's a good illustration of your point of Barry being being up on the play lots. He was very mm-hmm. active tonight. And uh, you begin to see the the kind of offensive defenseman that Ken Holland thought he was getting when he signed him. Now, when you see the orders leading the league in defense scoring goals and points, you're starting to think, you know, I mean, where'd that come from? But uh, uh, Barry and his new steady partner, Nurse, are, are doing a lot of that. And Bouchard's been doing some, although Bouchard, as you mentioned, had a very quiet game tonight, just uh, just uh, a little over eight minutes, but two more shots on net, including one bomb from the point that forced a nice stop. So, well, and if you think uh, of the uh, the context of that comment you made about the, the Oilers' defenseman leading the league in points, if you really think about it, that's with two of their best offensive defensemen from last year not playing, Oscar right. Clefbaum and Ethan Bear. Yep, two of the top three for last year in terms of minutes. And just in terms of general overall importance to the team, they, you know, if Cluck bombs out for the year, well, Ethan Bear has missed three weeks now, you know, and the team has basically won all but two of the games since he went out. So it's uh, it's a little bit of credit uh, or due to the to the depth of the team and to uh, the emerging top pairing. I mean, there's uh, if you want to look for warts in that top pairing, you'll find them. But uh, there's sure a lot of uh, fine hockey skills in those two players as well. Well, when you play 52 minutes between the two of them, there's going to be the odd mistake. And I think people mm-hmm. that have played the game or watched the game for a long time understand that and kind of kind of keep that balance in mind. Yeah. So let's uh, let's move up to the to the uh, forward lines for our second good things each, and uh, you go first. Uh, well, I thought that the Oilers played a brilliant neutral zone game tonight. Um, is that boring hockey? Sure, but it wins you hockey games. Um, normally, that's the kind of play that wins you at wins you playoff games. But I would argue in this division this year, where practically every game you play is a four-point game, uh, you need to win games like this. And I, and I thought that their play in the neutral zone, particularly in the third period, was exemplary. 
And I'm going to pick one player to be the poster child for that. And that was Jujar Kara, who I just thought had a whale of a third period, including two back-to-back intercepts in the neutral zone where the flames were attacking with what, what was shaping up to look like numbers. And, and he, and he got a stick in the way, intercepted both passes. And in both cases sent the rubber heading another direction, had a couple of zone clears, uh, uh, in, in the third period as well. So I thought Kara exemplified the really strong discipline, neutral yep. zone game that Dave Tippett's uh, club turned in tonight. Well, some good stats for Kara tonight. Two shots, three hits uh, to lead the team, three hits, uh, two takeaways uh, to tie for the team lead, and uh, six out of ten for a team best 60% on the dot. So yeah, for a guy that's was, not considered to be a prime faceoff man, it was a real mm-hmm. good performance for JJ in the, in the, on the dot tonight. Turning the puck in, in uh, Edmonton's favor on some of those stats, you know, mm. uh, the takeaways and the faceoff wins in particular. And uh, those plays you, that you noticed, whether they call them takeaways or whether they, you know, him breaking up the play, uh, he was he was doing that. And uh, he's... Uh, He's found another level to his game. I mean, 90% of oil country wanted that guy gone about a month ago. Uh, <laughs> Ten games ago, I would have said he is gone. I, I thought we'd seen yeah, his last games done. in Oilers. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. on him. Well, my second good thing is also going to come from the depth of the bottom six. Keyword depth. Because uh, this depth line was a big contributor to tonight's game. And I'm talking about the unit of uh, speedy Gaetan Haas between big... <laughs> James Neal and big Alex Chason, who last year in the late season and playoffs played uh, uh, bookends on the line with big Jujar Kara. Well, with Gaetan Haas uh, and this kind of water, water bug skating style, it gives them a different look that they've got the speed in the middle and they've got the, you know, the, the bulk on the wings, which is sort of the opposite look from the, uh, the upper two or the second and third lines with dry sidle between two smallish guys or two small guys really and currently Anis and Yamamoto Kara, big Kara between two smallish guys in uh, uh, Cahoon and Archibald who doesn't play small but he's not he's not a big man and then the yep. fourth line is the opposite where you've got Haas little little littleish he looks little compared to those uh, two hulking wingers that he's got playing with him and I thought they were terrific you know and James Neal uh, who I have not been impressed with for most of the year, and I've been I've been uh, 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 hard on him. After the last Calgary game, I was not impressed at all. Where I thought he got seriously outplayed by his trading uh, counterpart Milan Lucic. Well, that didn't happen tonight. Neil had the better game by a good bit, and those three did combine on the game-winning goal. And it was a really nice rush up the wall with both Neil. Headmanned to uh, chase on at the blue line, and then chase on dished it back to Neil coming up the wing, and Neil's centering pass forced a Calgary defender into trying to make a sliding defensive play that wound up into a, a deflection on his own net, that forced one good save by uh, David Riddick, but uh, Haas, as you mentioned earlier, went to the went to the goal mouth and hung around long enough to find that loose rebound and get it up over the pad and into the net. And, that made it two nothing. I didn't say two nothing for long, but the orders kept the one goal lead. Basically, the orders were ahead by one goal from five minutes into the first period for the whole re- remainder of the game. But they did need that second goal, and 
that line produced it. But I just thought they played well over and above the goal. I thought the goal came on merit that they uh, that they deserved it, and they you know they dominated uh, shot share. I mean Alex Chase on ten shots for three against when he was on the ice, eight to two for uh, James Neal, eight to three for Gaetan Haas. Like the Oilers had the puck in Calgary and Art was in the neutral zone mucking around going nowhere, but the uh, Oilers controlled the play with that unit on the ice and. They were rewarded with the game-winning goal, and they're also rewarded with my second good thing. Yeah, well, so. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I thought they were the Oilers' best line, mm-hmm. um, and I had to smile because in the second intermission in, in the in the regional uh, telecast, Flames broadcast crew, uh, when someone uh, suggested that uh, the Oilers had good depth this year, Eric Francis scoffed at that. Depth? Uh-huh. You think the Oilers have depth? Well, Eric, last I checked, the Oilers' depth line beat you tonight. Mm, so yeah, I'd watch, say, watch the, yeah. Watch the video they when you do. get home, Eric. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love poking he, Eric. He would, I I, yeah, well, he would grate on my nerves if I was a Calgary fan, i got to say. But as an Edmonton <laughs> fan, uh, it's just chalk, chalk on the chalkboard, you know. So we'll, we'll change the subject briefly. Uh, we each had to kind of scramble around a little bit to find a bad thing, but uh, that's the format here. So I'll let you, again, you go first, Kurt. What is your bad thing from this game? Well, my bad thing's kind of a good thing, uh, mm. but I thought it was fairly clear that the bottom two lines outplayed the top two lines tonight. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, it, it didn't look like McDavid, uh, uh, Nugent Hopkins, or Drysaddle had any real offensive juice at all tonight. I thought the effort was there, but there was just nothing. Nothing was clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the those bottom two lines, I thought, were were effective every time they were on the ice. Uh, and as you said, I mean, they 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 produced the ultimate winning goal. Uh, and there was two major shifts um, by that. We were calling it the fourth line. Um, one was uh, was in the first period where they had just pinned the Flames in their own zone. And then late in the third period, well, there was probably five or six minutes left in the third period. And, and the Flames had, had started to get just a little bit of flow in their game. And out came that, that line with Haas and, and, um, and Neil and Chase on. And they pinned the Flames in, in their own zone again for the entire shift. Uh, and eventually got a face-off, so forced an ozone draw, which Dave Tippett brought uh, the McDavid line out for. Um, when you get that kind of performance uh, from your bottom six, you get the eventual winning goal and that kind of defensive play, which in this case was, a, was aggressive, an aggressive forecheck in the ozone, um, you're not going to lose many games when you get that kind of performance from your bottom six. So is it a bad thing? Yeah, because I thought the top two lines were pretty quiet tonight. Normally, as you pointed out, the orders usually don't win when that happens. Um, but uh, I thought those those bottom six guys really showed up tonight with their hard hats on, and as what a big reason for the for the two unresulted in the end. Huge reason. Yeah. Well, two weeks ago when the Oilers beat Ottawa three to two without a point from either um, McDavid or Drysaddle, that was the first time they won uh, without a point from either player in uh, since 2017. A span of well over three years. I think it was November of 2017. And they'd gone 0-26-2, so basically 0-20, 0-28 and 
in the you know only 28 games out of 280 or whatever <laughs> games that were played in that time uh, that neither guy scored. But usually that's a recipe for defeat. Period. So the very next game after that, they beat Montreal three nothing, and McDavid and Drysaddle each only got a point on the third goal in the three nothing win. So they you know they all basically had enough goals to win that game without the big guy scoring. And then tonight, they officially did it again. No points for Connor, no points for Leon, two points for the Oilers. And, of course, obviously, that's what matters most. So I'll segue that into my bad thing, which kind of kind of swirls around those same, same players that you mentioned. And uh, uh, I will say, Ryan, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a very strong defensive game, as Cassie Campbell, to her credit, pointed out on more than one occasion. But tonight, yeah. the Edmonton power play was dreadful they had two chances one of about a minute long uh late in the first period and then another full power play uh in the second period both times they had a chance to you know put their foot down uh, i won't say what brian burke said but uh they had the chance to put their foot down on calgary and they couldn't get out of their own way they couldn't get over the blue line they couldn't make a pass in the defensive zone they couldn't make a win a puck battle along the boards and those power plays actually served to kind of kill some momentum that Edmonton had established and just the two chances and just the probably three minutes or so that they uh, they had the man advantage on the game uh, yeah three minutes and ten seconds but just wasted opportunities and and not the sort of thing where they were generating good shots and, you know, they couldn't beat the goalie. It was that they were generating nothing. No zone time, no, you know, no possession. And only the second unit, of all things, second unit actually did make one good chance very late in the power play once the first unit had gone off. But overall, that uh, that was a disappointing aspect of what tonight was very much a defensive hockey game. Uh I, I I wonder if Ryan Nugent Hopkins isn't right isn't right, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he played an intelligent defensive game tonight. Absolutely, I thought particularly in the third period. Um, but you you can be down a quarter or two and still play a real smart, strong defensive game, especially when you're a when you're a veteran that skates pretty well, like like the Nuge does. But I haven't thought he's looked himself for a while, and I just wonder. You know, we don't always know if a player is nursing something here or there. And this isn't the the Nuge I'm used to seeing. And he still plays plays well and makes strong, intelligent plays. But he's just been off a half a turn. And just it just makes me go, hmm, I wonder if there's something nagging him that all of us don't know about. Right. Fair enough. So we'll wind things up in our usual fashion with uh, one number or one set of numbers apiece. Uh, so again, Kurt, do you take the lead? What's your number? I'll go with uh, numbers, if that's okay. Yeah, it uh, is. Five and seven. Mm. Uh, that is five goals that Jesse Pugliarvi has now in in his last seven games. Uh, okay. And I don't mind. I don't mind eating a little bit of crow here because I really thought that Jesse had played his last game as an Oiler. Uh, mm-hmm. When he when, yeah, when he went to Finland, I thought. Well, we we didn't do that very well, and and uh, as you know, I thought I thought the player uh, wore some of that as well. Yep. But credit to both sides, man. I mean, um, 
Ken Holland showed his experience, I thought, and paid the patience card over mm-hmm. and over again. And to his credit, this young man, I think, has really matured and has come back um, driven. Um, I see him skating in straight lines. I see him going to the net um, and, and doing those little basic things, I think, are helping bring out his natural God-given skills. And that combination of things is all of a sudden uh, showing us to have a, a power forward on Connor McDavid's right-hand side. Uh, and so given the fact I thought he would never play another game mm-hmm. uh, in this jersey to now have five goals in his last seven games and the Oilers be second in their, second in their division, um, and, and yes, he uh, running shotgun with Connor on the top line. Uh, that is a handy development I did not see. I'm very happy to be wrong about it. And I'm very happy for Yessi because it really looks like that young man has turned things around in a major way. Yeah, well, what, what I see sort of at the, at, the, at the metal level is the return of the smile and the return of the swagger to yeah. this young man's game that, he'd all, you know, that had stood out from him even back when he was at the World Junior wearing a shield because he was under 18 years old and still winning the MVP. And he had this infectious beam and... and this is this confidence. And during the three years that he was in Edmonton, and frankly, it was a mistake to bring him over at 18. Uh, he should have spent that year in, in Finland instead of his 21-year-old year, and things would have been a little more orderly. But um, we saw that both of those things dissipating over those three years. And, of course, he had the health issue with his hips as well. Mm-hmm. And going back to Finland, I mean... Some people saw it as him quitting on the team. I mean, I don't see it that way because he didn't have a contract anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he played out his first contract and then, you know, they couldn't work out a deal. And it, I think it was for the best. And he went back there. And by the time he came back, he, you know, he's you know, he's more mature. The smile was back. A little bit the swagger was back. And now we're, we're seeing it start to blossom. He's snapping off shots. He's snapping off passes. He's getting engaged in the board battles and winning them. He's, you know, getting the puck out at his own blue line. You know, he's uh, he's doing a lot of things right. And five five and seven, I mean, when you say five and seven, I'm thinking, that's Oilers winning Stanley Cups, isn't it? Five and seven <laughs> years. But yeah, five yeah. goals and seven games, we'll take that yeah. from from any player. That's uh, that's yeah. major league production. So. And, you know, the big swoop is, uh, that big neutral zone swoop is out of his game now. Uh, and mm-hmm. you mentioned board battles. The one that particularly caught my eye is when Milan Lucic was cycling the puck down low in the Oilers' zone. Uh, and yes, he had that check. And I mm-hmm. thought he, he, he equaled Lucic pound for pound and, and ended up winning that battle. And I thought, you know, there, there is a hard-nosedness yeah. that I don't think we saw in his first stop in Edmonton. And, and with his size... He doesn't need to be a bruiser, but that's the right. sort of battle that he can win and really uh, take advantage of, of his size and his breadth and his reach. Uh, so um, very encouraging. The other thing I want to point out before I turn it over to, mm-hmm. to your number is uh, I, I did have to smile because when Jesse scored that goal, there were, there were count them, one, two, three, four flames standing around looking at him in the slot. And I thought, Man, over the last years, 
How many times has yeah. a goal like that been scored on us? Right. And how nice it was for the, the shoe to be on the other foot for a change. Yeah, that's for sure. So my number, well, again, I have a set of numbers like you. My numbers are three and two. And this is a rather remarkable confluence of numbers. Three is the number of shots on goal by Chris Russell, who led the Oilers with three shots on goal. They had eight players with two each, but only Kay Rusty had three. So he led that the team. offensive dynamo. That offensive dynamo, Chris Russell, with his three shots on goal. But the real key number is the two. And that is in 18 minutes and 46 seconds that Russell was on the ice at even strength. Calgary had two shots. So Russell alone outshot the Flames during his nearly one full period of action tonight. (laughs) He had three and they had two. And... I don't. I think we're going to have to watch a lot of more games before we ever see that happen again with that player. I mean, it might happen with another player, but wow. So credit we're doing. The same with uh, Adam Larson. And I mean, the actual shots on net with Russell on the ice, because besides his three, the Oilers actually had 10 to just two for Calgary. And for this player who's consistently put up lousy possession numbers, Tonight was a very major change of that aspect of his game. They had the puck in the in the good end of the ice, and when it was in their end, they defended their goal, and uh, Calgary was getting nothing through. And it wasn't like they were blocking a ton of shots. Russell had three blocks, and, and Larson won. So again, you can say, well, Russell made three saves, and, and Smith only had to make two <laughs> yeah. during his time on the ice. So we'll slip in the name of Mike Smith, who we haven't even mentioned among our many good things tonight because we were impressed with the defensive effort in front of him. But uh, uh, the 38-year-old goalie uh, put up another pretty pretty strong game, allowing only one goal against on uh, 21 shots by Calgary and and, uh, came away with the win. So I think we'll see uh, a flip of goalies tomorrow. But uh, tonight he got the job done. Yeah, and I thought his three best saves came in succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it was the uh, the Kachuk uh, attempt from the high slot. Yeah. Then after the Bouchard giveaway, it was the Bennett attempt. Yeah. And then late in the late in the third period, he stopped Lindholm on the power play. And I thought the Lindholm stop was maybe maybe it was the third best save, but I thought it was the most important. If Lindholm scores that goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one nothing going in, going into the dressing room, and I and I think the Flames come out uh, a different team in the second period. Uh, right. You know what they say? It's not late how many saves first, you eh? make. It's it's it, yeah, late in the first. It's not how many saves you make. It's when you make them. And I thought that was a a veteran performance by Mike Smith tonight when the when the good defense was in front of him as well. Yeah, I thought he was fighting the puck a little bit in the first part of the game, kind of fighting off pucks as opposed to. You know, no rebounds. You know, the the, the puck was staying alive, but uh, not usually in dangerous places. And uh, he's uh, let's let's give the old man credit. Some people were beside themselves when the orders signed him, and uh, there certainly seemed to be other options available. But uh, uh, my own attitude was, well, let's wait before he starts till he starts playing bad before we got all over his case. <laughs> not, instead of just assuming he's going to be bad. I mean, last year we saw the bad and the good. And this year, mostly, with uh, I mean, the, the exception of the one the one game where uh, where um, Winnipeg put four zingers by him, 
uh, he's been he's been strong, and you know he started five out of six games since he came back. I wouldn't have guessed that, and won four of them. So credit to uh, Mike Smith. And, and when he's confident him. like, yeah, and when he's confident like this, he also really blunts the opposition dump and chase. Yeah, I mean the Flames were trying hard to get it in behind, uh, especially that third pair. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Oilers tonight, they were trying to get it behind Bouchard and, and, and Cuckoo all night. But he knocked, Smith knocked a lot of those down and either set them up for his D-man or, or made a, a nice little outlet pass. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of people, me included, underrate that skill and how much better and how much more mobile he makes his defense. Uh, how, 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 how relatively few retrievals uh, a third-pairing uh, uh defense pairing has to make when you have a guy like that back there that mm-hmm. can handle the puck as well as he does. Yeah. Well, he's no Martin Brodeur, but, uh, but who is, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's good, good with the puck. I mean, Brodeur was an absolute wizard, uh, at, at that aspect of the game. Uh, and uh, I studied him for an entire playoff series once against Ilya Bruce Galloff. And it was a great learning experience of, and I just counted up how many times did he handle the puck, how many times did he make a good pass, and clear the puck to a less dangerous spot, or you know, a number of different ways of things that a goalie can do to uh, affect the flow of a game. And Smith is good at coming out and, and getting the puck if there's a single forechecker. Uh, the two defensemen peel off to the two corners and, and the forechecker can pick one of them and the puck will go to the other one and out they walk. Because yeah, he and, has an option, right? Yeah. And he also, that type of hockey saves the defenseman from getting their face smashed into the glass one or two times a game probably. You know, it's 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 it just puts a whole different kind of uh, relief on the, on the forechecking pressure that the defense might expect when their goalie starts with the puck as opposed to it being a loose puck or them having to chase it and, and with a guy hot on their heels. So it's uh, it's had a noticeable impact, that, that aspect. And uh, so far, so few terrible mistakes that turn into goals. So as long as that keeps up, I mean, the puck handling is a plus. Uh, I'm smiling because that comment comes from an old goalie <laughs> and I'm an old defenseman who's had his nose pressed up against the glass a few times in his career. So I know of which you speak. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you probably would appreciate a goalie would feed you the puck in the corner as opposed to yelling at you because you got smashed and turned it over behind the net. And I know I, as an old goalie, appreciate those greasy third-pairing defensemen that uh, lay their bodies on the line to, to clear the crease out and get, keep the opposing bad guys out of the blue paint. So... It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. I played uh, I played um, senior intermediate uh, one season mm-hmm. with Mike Blosky, who used to be the backup goaltender for the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, yeah. uh, Mike was an Mike was an excellent goalie and a very good puck handler. Mm-hmm. And after every practice, he'd spend twenty minutes, half an hour handling the puck and rimming it off the glass. All those years later, long after he was done being a pro, he still practiced the basics every game. Wow. It was pretty cool to see. Right on. And uh, don't, I'm not calling you a third pairing defenseman, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't that most <laughs> nights. That's why I'm, that's why I'm here talking with you now instead of collecting a pension. <laughs> right on. Well, I think that uh, sums up tonight's game. We're right back at it tomorrow night. Uh, uh, 
Uh, tomorrow night I have the grades as everybody grits their teeth. But uh, Kurt and I will be back with the podcast of tomorrow night's rematch, Calgary at Edmonton. The ninth two-game series of the season, but the first one that features a game in each building after all these two-game and one city sets. So this is where the Battle of Alberta is uh, a little bit more legitimate option to just switch cities and play in the other one. And, that's what and we'll talk about night. key, because with the victory tonight, our, our gap on Calgary's five points. If, if we can squeeze uh, another win tomorrow, seven that's points huge. a third of the way through the season would be massive. Would be huge. All right. Well, I look forward to talking with you about that uh, uh, tomorrow night, Kurt. So thanks uh, for talking with us tonight. It's always fun, Bruce. Take care and see you tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.